Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. I'm standing next to Kyle right here and Gabe. They're from Idaho Falls. They're here to watch their dad do a segment for the X-Files. Isn't that right? He already did. He already did? Yeah. Excellent. He taped that this, uh, this uh, afternoon. Yeah. Did you watch it? Yeah. How do you do? Very good. Very well. Uh, anything you want to say to anybody? Gabe, do you want to say hi to your mom? No. <laughs> Kyle, do you want to say hi to Sophia or whatever her name was? No. 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 Okay, well, thanks for being on the show. Come on over here, my friend Natalie. Every now and then in your life, uh, when you have children, you uh, they have friends who uh, just make... Uh, the life for your child. Cassidy, when she was really young, I don't know, was it first grade? Second grade. Second grade, met Natalie here, and from that time, they had been best friends up until today, uh, and then they had to live with each other, and it ended. I'm just kidding. Uh, now, Natalie's visiting from Southern California. She comes from, uh, actually, her parents' name are Sonny and Char, uh, no kidding, and her brother's uh, name is Kyle. And she has great grandparents who have all been through all her life. We know their whole family. And I just uh, want to tell Natalie uh, from Cassidy's dad, thank you for being such a good friend to my daughter. You're welcome. And I love you. I love you too. Okay, thanks. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to participate in this ministry. May he be with you and us tonight. Uh, and with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we pray you will uh, help those who are searching for truth come across the program and that I will be able to convey truth uh, through this medium. We pray you'll be with our volunteers and our staff, those who help behind the scenes, who do all sorts of things to keep us uh, going. We pray for uh, our audience here and out there in TV land, wherever they are, that they may uh, come to know you, the true and living Wonderful and radical how God works because this past week I've had so many intersecting pieces come together that we have gone from being a two-part series uh, to a three. Uh, things began opening up as I prepared for our verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Matthew for our milk gathering that happens every Sunday up at the U of U. As I studied the text, I saw things um, and I saw things that you guys have sent me throughout the week the parallels and how it all kind of came together couldn't be ignored. So next week, we're going to finish up the three-part series 
uh, by analyzing the methods of deception that the LDS have been using relative to the uh, topic of racism. But tonight, allow me to in uh, insert some information and insights that came up this past week. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said at verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Uh, false prophets, pseudo-prophetes in the Greek. Uh, notice how Jesus describes these pseudo-prophetes people. He said, they come to us in sheep's clothing. Biblically, sheep are emblematic of uh, being innocent and sincere, if a sheep can be sincere, harmless. Uh, to come in sheep's clothing is to assume the appearance of harmlessness and innocence while the intents of the heart are actually uh, quite evil. Uh, not necessarily, you know, uh, black devil, ah, evil, and, and there is that kind of evil that certain prophets have, but there's also a worldly humanistic evil that can be in false prophets. Uh, Jesus said, he said, they're inwardly, they're ravening wolves. Now, uh, in the Greek, ravening means greedy for power, financial gain, uh, for the self. And you add wolf to this picture, ravening wolf and wolves, and you get this uh, uh, vicious kind of internally vicious person that is out to get what you have. But out on the outside, they look really, really nice and, and clean. In Matthew 23, 25, Jesus says that these types are full of extortion and, and excess. In other words, while feigning and appearing humble, uh, and harmless, these false prophets are all about money. They're about gaining property and riches and the power that comes with the control of such things. Turning on the television these days, you may see some of them just ooze out of your screen from almost every religious affinity. Some people teach to name it and claim it. God wants you to be rich and wealthy, they'll say from the TV. Or others focus on prosperity teachings. You know, give us $10 and God will give you 1000 back. And uh, sometimes they promise healings to just touch the television screen. Or they'll send you a potion to cure the cancer if you just pay this amount of money. Whatever it is, pseudo-prophetizers uh, are everywhere. And the New Testament warns about them constantly. So here in Matthew, Jesus tells us, though, how to really know them. How to see them for what they really are under that white woolly suit. He says in verse 16, you shall know them by their fruits. Uh, now remember, Jesus said they'll come in the appearance of sheep, but he says we can know them by their fruits. In other words, you can't know a false prophet or probably even a true prophet by how they appear outwardly, by looking at them and trusting their appearance because they will, at least false ones, he says, will always appear innocent and virtuous as a sheep. So we have to examine the end result of their existence, just like we would examine the end result of a fruit tree's existence. What's the end result of a fruit tree? It's their fruit. See, the value of a fruit tree is not the leaves, no matter how pretty they are. It's not the shade they provide. It's not the blossoms that come out. It's not the wood. It's not the branches. It's not the roots. The value of a fruit tree, the reason for a fruit tree's existence is uh, its fruit. That's the end product. 
You can't walk up and say because a tree's beautiful that the fruit is good. You have to taste the fruit. And so it is with false prophets or teachers who go about claiming to represent God, speak for God, know what God wants. Forget how they sound and appear and smell or the condition of their exteriors. Listen and look, taste the fruit they produce, and then, this is the key, and then compare it to the standard by which a Christian can test fruit. And that standard is the Bible. You take what they say, you, say, you take what they promise, you take what they're doing, and you compare it to the standard that we have to compare things to, and the Word of God. And then all pretensions and religious and piety and goodness mean nothing if the fruit is in opposition to what's written in the Word of God. Last week, all over the news was the launching of the City Creek Shopping Center. The reporter said it was the realization of a 10 or 20 year long dream, I don't remember which, which they said, of the now deceased LDS prophet, Gordon B. Hinckley. As the cameras scanned the $5 billion shopping mall, $5 billion shopping mall, uh, which is the direct fruit of Mormonism, one could see the place was gloriously appointed well-decorated, and full of some of the world's top retail stores. In other words, its leaves and its bark and its appearance was beautiful. It was appealing. It was attractive. Standing behind these great ribbon, red ribbons uh, stood the first presidency of the LDS Church. All three of them call themselves prophets, seers, and revelators. Monson and... Uh, uh, Erring, Erring, and Uchtdorf, all standing there. They were there to help cut the grand ribbon and open up this shopping mall. But what is the fruit? Ask yourselves, think about this. To whom and to what is it inside of man that the City Creek Center is appealing to? What is it that it is appealing to inside men and women? Does it appeal to the true spirit of God or does it appeal to their flesh? Uh, to what end does the fruit of Mormonism exist? How does this $5 billion edifice of high-end consumer consumption fare in light of 1 John 2.16, which says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. Let me tell you, that sinner, along with everything else that the Mormon institution represents, is, in the end, that's the fruit of their faith. In the end, it all appeals to the flesh of man, of man seeking and women seeking to become gods of consumerism. They're the ultimate materialist because they believe God himself could not create matter or material, that it has always existed and all God could do was just form it into new things. So they're the ultimate materialists. And by their fruits, Jesus says, we will know them. Mormonism began with a man with a sole ambition to find or pretend to find buried gold with a rock in a hat and walking around farms saying, I can see it. That guy turned into a, a pseudo-prophetess when he then said, an angel came to me and told me about some gold that was buried in a hill and that revealed this record called the Book of Mormon. 
He enhanced his position as a pseudo-prophetess as he increased, uh, increasingly said that God had revealed all sorts of things to him, including, and it's in the Doctrine and Covenants, that certain people should give him and the church their farms, and certain people should give them and the church their money, and certain men should give him and his friends their daughters and their wives. The very same ambitions, hidden, ravening ambitions, existed in Brigham Young, who followed, uh, uh, who followed Joseph all the way out here, not following Joseph, but followed his ways as he came all the way out here. And uh, he's left men standing in a $5 billion shopping center, funded, organized, set up by the LDS Church. Now, last week, we presented part one on the deception method by which the LDS leadership relate to the general public and at times even to their naive membership. We summarized the methods that they use, uh, approaching plural marriage we used as the example, uh, by proving first they publicly deny their doctrines, history, and practices, while they, number two, privately continue to believe, teach, and uphold these practices, and when we opened up the phone lines, we unwittingly encountered a third part of their methods of deception. That is, when a person or group challenges the obvious inconsistencies between their public professions and private practices, the LDS, many of the LDS, will attack the person or the group as a means to take the focus off their deceptive practices. Am I on here? Okay. After a full 45 minutes last week of presenting documented information, we opened up the phone lines and were able to hear and see firsthand examples of how this plays out. Nobody who was LDS refuted any of the facts we presented last week about the deceptive practices between the LDS today and them saying we don't believe in more, uh, polygamy anymore. No one said, Sean, that stuff's not true and here's why. But what they did do, which is what they have always done from the get-go, is attack the person. It's called an ad hominem attack. They, have a they attacked me and my life, and in the case last week, they even attacked my children. So the first LDS caller wanted to know about my personal finances. He said, is this your full-time job? He was very nice. I just want to know, just casually, is this your full-time job? He also wanted to know, and who is it that sings that song at the end of that program? Very casual. Well, I answered his questions, and he hung up. Dollars to donuts, he has contacted the person, even though we're covered by BMI, he's contacted the person who sings that song to try to get us in trouble. They've done it with the IRS, and he wanted to know about, is this your full-time job? He's planting seeds. Then um, they do this because they want to infer that I'm sitting on a pile of cash, and therefore people can stop supporting us, and if they do, they can close up shop. Uh, they do it to also cast shadows on motives. Uh, by the way, Mary and I are still tens and tens of thousands of dollars in debt uh, from personally funding the ministry for our, ourselves years ago. And the lion's share of any income we receive goes to paying off that debt. When that, call, when that approach they tried to use didn't work, the caller attacked my integrity. He said I was a moral failure a liar because I had, prior to going on a Mormon mission, made oaths in a Mormon temple, and because I made those oaths in the Mormon temple to never talk about what happened in there, and now that I do, my integrity is on the line. Not their integrity for having an 18-year-old, 19-year-old guy make those oaths, not knowing what they were about. 
The onus falls on the person who attacks. That's how these uh, systems work. When this logic fi uh, fizzled, they the, ca the uh, caller, then he began to attack my family. He went to the point of saying, my daughters have created and acted in a film. He said that was almost pornographic. A film that was about teenage sex, premarital sex. While incendiary and salacious uh, uh, attacks and queries as they are, ask yourself this question when this stuff comes up. What does any of it have to do with the Mormon Christian debate and the points we brought up last week? Nothing. Never does. So, so far we have established the three rules regarding the LDS methods of deception. Let's look at the fourth. The LDS will appeal to secular reasoning and partial truths when presenting themselves and their value as a church to the world. A few weeks ago, as a means to combat the public perception many people have toward the institution of Mormonism, the LDS Church officially released one of the most contrived, manipulative, arrogant pieces of, uh, they call it infographics, I've ever seen. They call it Mormonism 101. And they use data that has absolutely no relationship to what it means to being a true Christian in the way they've used it. LDS faithful are proudly boasting this chart all over the place from the evening news to disgrace book. It's everywhere trying to talk about it. So let's have a look at it and uh, we'll talk through this thing. Derek's going to keep us focused if he can, if I can keep my head on straight. We're going to go first. We're, we're going to cover it uh, from the top down with one exception. And that is, this is the LDS infographic. And I just want to show you, are we on camera there? It says, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, I think it was about 15 years ago, it used to say, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, and about 10 or 15 years ago, they blew his name up. But I'm showing you this because it just shows you this is who it comes from. Over here, it gives you the sources. There's seven sources, and I'll talk about those uh, in a minute. But, but five of those sources... Uh, one of them is current, 2012. The other ones go back to as far as 2006. And then the other two sources are uh, LDS. One of them being, quote, internal statistics of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, meaning you can't prove them right or wrong. The problem is this, is this graph is not annotated. So you can't tell from where anything comes. They listed seven things down here, but we don't know who said what. Okay, the final thing is to notice that they write here total church membership 14,131,467 members. That's how they are presenting themselves to the public. Okay, so let's go to the top and look at this. Who are the Mormons? That's the, that's the top. Who are the Mormons? Now, for those people who call in and say, you know, we are not the Mormons. That's a, that's a term we don't use. We are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I want you to see here that your own church from the top brings something out and calls themselves Mormons, all right? The second thing is, is the first, they give us five things that they are. If you can pull back, Derek. The first one says, who are the Mormons? A Christ-centered faith. That's number one. The next one, a devout faith. The next one, a family faith. The next one, a giving faith. And then finally, it talks about a global faith. And we'll get to that one in a second. So let's first talk about the infographic and um, what it means when it says 
Um, they are a Christ-centered faith. That's up at the top. Um, this is so misleading, it's hard to even believe you can read it in print. Having been LDS 40 years, I'm telling you, even if I have only visited the church uh, sometimes in those past 10, 12 years, this is a joke. The first thing, they have an image of Christ and it says percentage of sacramental worship services in the Mormon church that's known as sacrament meetings that focus on Jesus Christ. 100%. 100% of every one of their sacrament meetings, which is the main meeting in the Mormon church, they say focus on Jesus Christ. Uh, it's unbelievable. The claim in and of itself is unbelievable because when you go to uh, even a Christian church, you're going to have times when the focus is not on Jesus Christ. It might be on, on the establishment of the Sabbath day, or it might be on, and they might bring Jesus into it, but the focus will not be. But as a means to totally uh, market themselves to the unsuspecting non-Bible reading world, they say the annual, the percentage of their sacramental worship services on Christ is 100%. Okay, the next one, it says millions worship million, 1.3 million worship services with the sacrament, they put communion here, administered in Christ's name's name last year. Okay, um, these two things, they're the two top things are talking about Christ. I want to show you four statements from official LDS representatives going back to the day, up to the present day, of who they think Jesus Christ is. Let's show you the first one. Graphic? Graphic! There you go. All right. It says, this is from uh, Orson Hyde. It's in the Journal of Discourses. He was an apostle. It says, I discovered that some of the Eastern papers represent me as a great blasphemer because I said in my lecture on marriage at our last conference, that was from an LDS general conference. He's an apostle speaking from the pulpit that Jesus Christ was married at Cana in Galilee, that Mary, Martha, and others were his wives, and that he begat children. Okay? So there is the first thing that we can learn about the LDS, and no matter if they talk about it publicly or not, they believe that in their heart. He was married. He was married to more than one woman. He was a polygamist, and he had, more, he had children. The second uh, uh, thing comes from Bruce McConkie, an LDS apostle when I was a kid. It says... And virtually all of the millions of apostate Christendom have abased themselves before the mythical throne of a mythical Christ whom they vainly suppose to be a spirit essence who is incorporeal, uncreated, immaterial, and three in one with the Father and Holy Spirit. What McConkie's doing there is mocking the idea of one God. He's mocking the idea of God being a spirit. He's mocking the idea of who Christ is to the Christian community. The next one is from President Spencer W. Kimball, the prophet when I was a late teenager. This is what he says about Jesus. Long before you were born, a program was developed by your creators. The principal personalities of this great drama were a father, Elohim, perfect in wisdom, judgment, and person, and two sons, Lucifer and Jehovah, or Jesus. That's who Mormons think Jesus is. Lucifer and Jesus, two sons of this father who was once a man. So this is the one that they say 100% of their sacramental services focus on him. Let me tell you something. 
The Mormons open up their services with a prayer and they close it in Jesus' name. They give talks and they'll close in Jesus' name. They finish with a prayer and they close in Jesus' name. But they can talk about everything in between. It's only the closing of prayers and talks that they even use his name in most sacrament services. I have yet, in all the 40 years I was LDS, go to a sacrament service where someone talked extensively on the life of Christ, on the meaning of Christ in the Old Testament typified and then fulfilled in the New Testament, on the Beatitudes. Never! It's always an admixture, at least, of Mormon doctrine and usually a focus on their prophets, apostles, and Joseph Smith. Okay, and then the last one, President Gordon B. Hinckley, who died not too long ago, replaced by Thomas S. Monson. This is what Hinckley said, and it was in um, the Church News, June 20th, 1998. In bearing testimony of Jesus Christ, President Hinckley spoke of those outside the church who say Latter-day Saints do not believe in the traditional Christ. Hinckley said, no, I don't. The traditional Christ of whom they speak is not the Christ of whom I speak. For the Christ of whom I speak has been revealed in this dispensation of fullness of times. And he together with his father, separate and distinct individuals in bodies of flesh and bone, appeared to the boy Joseph in the year 1820. And when Joseph left the grove that day, he knew more of the nature of God than all the learned ministers of the gospel of the ages. End quote. 1998. So there is where their stance is relative to Jesus. The next one. It shows, now notice this, it shows the Bible over the Book of Mormon, as if the Mormons put the Bible ahead of the Book of Mormon in, in importance, which is totally misleading, marketing. And it says, members believe the Bible is Holy Scripture, testifying of Christ's divinity, and the Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ. Do they say anything about it not being translated correctly? That you cannot, you don't even know if there's a single verse in there, which their prophets and apostles have said, that you can trust? Did they add that to that? No, because they're marketing to the Christian community to try to get them to embrace them. Why? They have a political agenda. Okay, so we have that. And then they say over here, listen to the, their logic is the way to show the Book of Mormon is true. Jesus Christ is mentioned 3,925 times in the Book of Mormon, a mention every 1.7 verses. Must be true. It mentions Jesus every 1.7 verses of the Book of Mormon. But let me tell you something. The Book of Mormon was merely a book that Joseph produced to try to duplicate, to counterfeit the Bible. And so, of course, he's going to mention Jesus Christ's name. But the odd thing is, the Book of Mormon, the beginning, was supposed to take place 600 years before Jesus was even born. The third or fourth page of the Book of Mormon, you're reading the name Jesus Christ that was supposedly taken from a record that was written 600 years before Jesus was even born. So they're calling him by his first name, which wasn't revealed in the Bible until he was born. And they're using a Greek word, Christ, Christos, which means Messiah, that in a text that was 600 years uh, before his birth. It's unbelievable. And yet people will see this unsuspecting. They keep reading. Next ones. Oh, and by the way, this is from, uh, regarding the Bible, this is from uh, Gordon B. Hinckley, Thomas Monson, president of the church now, and Ezra Taft Benson in the church news. Quote, the Bible, as it has been trans transmitted over the centuries, has suffered the loss of many plain and precious parts, end quote. Dropping down to the same uh, uh, first presidency, they also said this, the most reliable way to measure the accuracy of any biblical passage is not by comparing different texts, but by comparison with the Book of Mormon and modern day revelations, okay? 
So they say, if you don't understand something in the Bible and you can't find an uh, answer to it in the Book of Mormon or everything else, it's probably wrong. But if you do find some clarification in the Book of Mormon and other LDS writings, then that's how you interpret the Bible, is by these things Joseph re received from the top of his head. All right? Let's drop down here. The second thing they say is we're a devout faith. Now, the statistics here become almost comical. All right? Listen to this. Remember, they're talking about 14,131,000 members. It says here, 9 out of 10 members pray weekly, and more than 80% pray daily. Now, i got to understand, how do they get that information? How do you know that information, first of all? And secondly, why are you putting it on this card? I mean, what are you trying to prove? That you're a Pharisee? That you pray more than anybody else? Just wait till you hear the, more, the other statistics. This says the LDS Church is the fourth largest religious body in the U.S. Now, remember that number of 14 million members? First of all, half it, because half of them are not active. They were born Mormon. They wander around saying, well, I was a Mormon once. They don't go to church. So you got 7 million members maybe in the churches. And then half of them are probably devout, meaning or less. So maybe half go to the temple. So you're looking at 3.5 million uh, people on this world, on this earth, who actually are devout Mormons. But they, they say they're the fourth largest and they love that game. And then here, listen to this. According to an independent study, Mormons are among the most knowledgeable of the Bible and religion. I, I almost had a stroke when I read that thing. <laughs> I have never in my life heard a contextual, honest, from the Greek teaching of a Bible passage in a Mormon church. They read it. Well, I think this means, you know, uh, what do you think it means, Jim? What does that word mean? I don't know. I, it seems to me like Joseph would have clarified that in another two. Yeah, I, mean, I think so. Let's go on to the next verse. Anything that brings up conjecture, anything that brings up a problem, they, they get Romans. I didn't even know there was a book of Romans when I was a Mormon. They don't cover Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. And yet this thing says, according to an independent study, and there's a, there's a parenthesis here that says, by about four Mormons asking each other the question, Mormons are among the most knowledgeable of the Bible. Do you see that this is the marketing from the top of the church to the world? Okay, let's drop down. They're a family faith. Oh, and this says a recent Pew study reports that 77% of members attend church at least weekly compared to, now they're going to start comparing themselves to the rest of the U.S., compared to 39% of the U.S. average, not to the uh, Christian average, to the U.S. average. All right, now they start doing the comparing, and it really gets good. They're a family faith. Now, look, this is amazing. I think I'm going to join just because of this. 81% say being a good parent is among their top goals in life compared to 50% of the general public. Only 50% of the general public care about their children and care, you know, about uh, uh, their being a good parent, a top goal in their life. You see, Mormons, they do it best, and they're not afraid to mention it here. Now, how this works on people is people who don't know the word and don't understand this stuff, they read that and they say, you know, my family's struggling. We don't really have a church. Boy, that's an impressive thing, and it appeals to the flesh. It says, I, wanna, I want that too. That's what my parents did. They lived in East L.A. They didn't have anything. They had, they had three kids. They were going to have six altogether. My parents joined because of junk like this. I can't tell you the fallout in my own family as a result of this thinking. Now, look at this one. Nine of ten members read scriptures or pray with their children and send them to receive religious education. You know what that means? They're saying 12 million 
of the 14 million members, nine of 10, that's the percentage, uh, read scriptures, pray with their children, and send them to religious, that, it's just a lie. That's a lie. It's a flat out lie. I would love, wish we had the money to do it. All right, 90% of the US view Mormons as having strong families. And 73% list a successful marriage as a top priority compared to only 34% of the public. <laughs> they are so good. Gosh, you know, it reminds me of that story where Jesus tells, you know, there's a Pharisee and he's standing in the temple. And he says, you know, Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Why I pay my tithes and I do this and I do that and I do this. And Jesus said, and then there was this other guy, and he just has his head down, the publican. He can't even lift his eyes toward heaven. He says, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And you know what Jesus said? That last guy was the one who was justified. Not that guy who's saying, look what we've done. Look what we've done. Look at our mall. <laughs> you got an Abercrombie and Fitch. You've only got a Kmart. They're a giving faith, ladies and gentlemen. They're giving. Now, I want you to notice something. When, listen to this language, and then I'm going to point it out. 96% donate uh, to religious causes per year. Okay? 80% donate to non-religious causes per year. 80% of their 14 million. I don't know how they do it. And 70% participate in religious volunteering. Down here it says, once a month, Mormons go without food or drink and donate at least all the cost of two meals to charity. Now, when I, you know, where it says religious causes, and it says non-religious causes, and it says religious volunteering, and it says charity, that's code for to the Mormon church. They do not give to anything but the Mormon church. Want to prove it? Just take a little sample scale for yourself. Watch the Mormons as they enter their Salt Lake temples with the hobos and bums out there in the street, people saying, can you help me out? Watch how much they give in charity to people out on the street and to people who are in need. Watch their attitude toward those people. I've sat out there for an hour just for entertainment to see how, what lengths they go to to not get near people like that. I'm not giving you an, uh, uh, an endorsement you have to give to those people, but I'm just saying, I mean, this makes it seem like they are the most giving people in the world. But every time they give and wherever they serve, it always has a tie to the church. Let me tell you why. Because the Mormon church says if you don't give to your religious cause and you don't volunteer your time in your religious meetings and you don't fast, well, the fasting's up to debate, but you're not going to the temple. And if you don't go to the temple, you don't get to go to heaven. And so it's tied to the amount of money that these people give. And so I would say if this was actually true, I would say, I would read it this way. 96% of Mormons are in bondage and thinking they're buying their way into heaven. Finally, it says they're a global faith, and it talks about their membership. 185 countries have the church in it. They have 28,000 congregations worldwide, and more members live outside the U.S. than inside. Let me just finish on that last one. More members live outside the U.S. on the inside because more members on the outside of the U.S. don't have the information that the members on the inside do. And people in the U.S. have the Internet, and they're far more astute on this stuff. Poor guys out in Brazil and, and China and Africa, they're not getting that information. They're just hearing this Mormonism 101 stuff, and they're believing it, and they go in, and pretty soon they find, you know, we always say, uh, I can't repeat what we say, but we, they, they trap you, and they slowly bring you in, and they get you, and they bind you up, and those people, before they know it, their little children are going to primary, and their wives are all yelling, and they're like, 
I didn't know that Joseph had these wives. I didn't know they believed in blood atonement. I didn't know they said black people were uh, inferior in the pre-existence. But I'm all tied up into it now. And that's the definition of a cult. Okay. Let's open up the phone lines. 801-973-TV20. 801-973-8820. Got a lot of emails to cover. If you're LDS, we'd love to have your call. Uh, our ability to do everything we do, anything we do, is directly related to you. It's related to your prayers. It's related to your sharing the program and ministry with other people. And it's related to your financial support if you're in a position. If you're not on a fixed or limited income, you know, a retired person, that's all you have and you're scrimping to get by. Widow's might is not part of this. And if you are, most importantly, led of the Lord. So uh, if all those things fit the case, you want to pray for us, you want to volunteer, you want to share the show or contribute, check out the following. Just want to share with you one of my favorite things to get these cards. This one has Yahweh, the names of God across it. It's beautiful. You open it up and it says, Stop Denying God's Doctrines. And it gives me a bunch of scriptures about, I guess, where I'm gone wrong. So save your postage. They don't matter to us. Um, Mitt Romney, who is running for the presidential uh, office, has a cousin named Park Romney, who is about 10 years his junior. And the BBC News reported uh, Mitt Romney, the frontrunner in the race of the Republican national nomination for the White House, is a devout Mormon, but his cousin, Park Romney, also, a past, also in the past a committed member of the church, now denounces it as a cult. I've become convinced that it's a fraud, Park Romney told the BBC, explaining his reason for leaving the Mormon fold. Uh, Park Romney says there's compelling evidence that the Mormon church leaders knowingly and willfully misrepresent the historical truth of their origins and of the church for the purpose of deceiving their members into a state of mind that renders them exploitable. That was the quote from him. In the article, uh, it describes Mitt Romney as a part of, of having, this is what the BBC says, it says that he led Sunday services, that he ran Bible classes for children. <laughs> they don't have Bible classes for children in the Mormon church, folks. That is a lie right there, or it's just a real bad understanding. And then it talks about all his uh, jobs in the church. The BBC writer says, Such accusations are rarely heard in the U.S., a nation founded on the principle of freedom of religion. Quote, It's not something you're supposed to talk about, says Professor Robert Putnam of Harvard Kennedy School. Quote, Whenever the issue of Romney's Mormonism has come to the surface, there has been lots of condemnation across the political spectrum for raising the issue of his religion, says Putnam. I'm not saying it's not relevant, but it's not talked about in polite company. Really. Well, what about when Obama ran? And I'm just saying, I don't care who it is. But when he ran, wasn't he and his pastor relentlessly vetted for whether they uh, were really Christians and what he stood for and everything else? Why did we do this with Obama? And that's fine. Do it. 
Go after people for their faith if they're going to take the highest oath in office and they're going to sit in that chair and they're going to say we're Christian. Go after them. They did it for Obama, but why don't they do it for Romney? Suddenly we become a polite society where we don't bring it up. I'll tell you why we don't, we don't do it with him. Because he's a Republican, because he has good family moral values, and because of money. There it is right there. Uh, the article goes on. One thing that particularly agitates them, uh, agitates this Park Romney, is shunning. Uh, allegations that former church members are denied access to family members who remain in the church. Park claimed this happened to him. I am alienated from my family. Many of you viewers out there understand this. When you stop going to church, you stop living by what they say you have to do, the alienation starts, doesn't it? He wrote, their doctrine, their protocol, and their culture has enforced, as enforced by bishops, encourages the families to disassociate themselves from the apostates, end quote. Mormon church elder, actually Mormon church apostle, Jeffrey Holland, denies that shunning occurs. He said, quote, we don't use that word and we don't know that practice. Really, apostle, you don't know that practice? Then how come when someone goes in for a temple rend, uh, recommend interview, they are asked, point blank, do you associate with any apostate members of the church? That is a question you're asked when you try to get a temple recommend to go through and receive everything you need to get to God after this life. And yet Holland says we don't use that word and we don't know that practice. And then finally, after uh, Park Romney said Mormonism is a cult, Holland said if that's what they believe, it's probably a good thing they leave because we're not a cult. Neener, neener, neener. I mean, it's a great response. He wrote, he wrote this. Uh, Holland said this, I have chosen this church because of the faith that I feel and the inspiration that comes. But if people want to call us a cult, you can call us a cult, Holland said from behind his desk, but we're, we are 14 million and growing. That was his final remark. But this is, proves that we're not a cult. We're 14 million and growing. Uh, you know, we've been talking about this, this stuff for six years, warning and saying it's coming. I think it's here, you know, but I don't know if it really matters to anybody. All right, let's go to the uh, phone. I almost said go to the cell phones. Uh, Shauna in Orem, first time caller. Shauna. Yes. Yes, you're on the air. Okay. I just want to ask Shauna a question about how, doesn't he think it's kind of strange how the Mormons are so against the cross if they seem to be Christian? Hold on one minute. We'll get him on the phone. Okay. Hello, this is Sean. This is Sean. Yes, Sean. Yes. Don't you think that it's kind of funny how the Mormons claim to be so Christian, but they hate the cross? Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? And, you know, we've done a show last Doesn't year. Doesn't that make you a funny look? We, we actually put a, a cross up in, in our yard. For Easter, and we wrote, we wrote Happy Easter on one of the crosses, and then another cross, we have another cross, and I put First Corinthians one eighteen, and then I actually put the American flag in between it, and you should see the looks that we get with the cross. I mean, they just, they just hate the cross. Well, it's the cross. It's not the American flag. They, they appreciate that far more than the cross. Yeah, but, but, but see, I put the cross in between it to, to, to give a message, to say I can worship the way I want to worship. See, I'm a born-again Christian, and they don't like us yeah. they, because we're not Mormon. So yeah. 
I kind of put the, you know, the flag in between to, to say, hey, I can worship the way I want to worship. I get it. Hey, listen, Shauna, uh, you know, the Bible, the New Testament, even the Old Testament, it doesn't refer to the garden where they say Jesus suffered and shed his blood for the sins of the world. And their prophets and apostles have said this from the pulpit in conference. It doesn't, the, the, the Bible does not talk about that being the place of atonement. The place of atonement, the place of shedding the blood was the cross. And the Bible, all through Pauline epistles, it talks about the cross, the shame of the cross. It talks right. about picking up our cross, not it's our garden. It's funny, you know, because I'll wear a cross sometimes and the looks that I get with the cross. I mean, I had to try that. just enemies of the cross. Like 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the cross seems foolishness to those who are perishing. Amen. Amen. Oh, but, it, but, it, but, it, but, but it's the power of God to those who are being saved. Amen. Great scripture. Thank you so much. You're, you're great. I watch you all the time. I think you're wonderful. Well, I'm not, but thank you so Good much job. for watching, it's Shauna. <laughs> See you later. Shauna needs to have a conversation with my wife or with Cassidy or Natalie. All right. Uh, we're going to go to Hector in uh, Salt Lake City. Hector, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hi, Hector. You're on the air. Uh, yeah, my name's uh, Hector, and I just uh, wanted to uh, thank Sean. Uh, anyways, I'm a first-time caller, and I can relate to where the Mormon Church does. Uh, um, I'm going through a separation divorce with my wife. She's LDS, and I'm Catholic, and they pretty much have alienated me. Um, so I can relate to that, what he's saying. Uh, this is, this is Sean Hector. Okay. Sorry, Sean. But anyways, okay. I can relate to what you're, what you're saying. Hey, listen, uh, can I ask you something? Yeah. You're separated. You're going through a divorce. Uh, listen, I want to tell you something. Uh, the LDS church, if it comes to uh, being a non-member or somebody who's not going to embrace Mormonism and a member, they will step in between and try to get a divorce going in many cases. The, the church is everything, not the marriage. Uh, is there any way that you can try to reconcile with your wife? Don't let your Catholicism get between you and her. You just keep l loving the Lord and trying to get him to come in between you and her and slowly love her back. Because let me tell you something, Hector, divorce is, is not going to be, do you have any kids? Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be good for you. I'll tell you right now. And it's not what God likes. And he doesn't want it because he knows it's not good. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to really, really, really hurt your kids. I don't care how old they are, even if they're grown or if they're infants. It's going to hurt them. The amount of time I spend with people, Hector, in private uh, counseling, you know, and talking about things, and coming, it's amazing how brutal it is on, some, on these kids when their parents get divorced. So you can work it out. Don't let the Mormon church have their way. Okay, yeah, I... I uh, I want to work it out. I just the neighborhood I moved into. It's it's like they're all Mormon and and they come and they want to teach and they can't answer my questions, so they either leave crying or they leave mad. Well, uh, and but, it upsets my family. It upsets okay, my wife. All right, listen. Then don't upset your wife. You're you're to die. You're you're supposed to serve her like Christ served the church. Okay, and he gave his life for it. You keep your studies going. You keep your prayers going outside of it. Uh, don't make it the war ground. They want you to do that because they give that woman justification for separating from you. Go write her a letter. Call her and say, I've been wrong. I'll shut my mouth against the Mormon church. You don't need to do it. Let me do it. I'll do it all day long. 
and, and you can watch the shows, but don't do that so it gets between your family. The devil wants that. Mormonism wants that. Because then they'll tell your wife, well, you know, you can be sealed to another man for eternity. And that gives you a chance to live with God and become a goddess. And so she hears all this stuff and she makes the church far more important than her marriage to you and honoring God. Hector, you can do it, man. Swallow your pride. Stop talking about the Mormons. Leave that up to guys like me and, and, and Sandra Tanner. And you go back and love your wife. And love those kids. Dude, there's no grass greener on the other side. Believe me. I don't care what it looks like or anything. It's not better on the other side. And it won't be better on the other side for your wife either. Okay, one last thing is I got my daughter. She's turning eight, and they were going to want to baptize her. Let them baptize her. It doesn't mean anything. Okay. Don't fight it. You will bring her to the true understanding of the Lord by your example of being a man who loves her mother and who cares for the family and sticks by her. As you are more like Christ to your family, your children will come out. Mine did, and it was only by that method. My arguments only pushed them away. Okay. All right? All right. Hey, keep in touch. Email us and uh, just say uh, in the byline, Hector from the show, and that way I'll be able to read them. All right. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Sean. Bye. And the rest of you guys, don't email me and say Hector from the show. So I'll... <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to Debbie and St. George. You to turn down so he can hear you. I will. All right, hold on. Debbie? Mm -hmm. De Debbie? Nope. Debbie? Debbie? It's Joy? me. Hold on. You're on the air. You gotta turn that TV off, Debbie. You're on the air. I gotta hang up, Debbie. Debbie? Okay. All right, let me see here. Um, I got this email Thursday night, March 22nd. Sean, I'm really scared. When I saw all that you showed about Joseph Smith, I had a broken heart. I have written you before and have been back and forth, back and forth the LDS Church. I have not felt peace in, I cannot remember when. I study the Bible and the Book of Mormon. I plead to the Father and Savior Jesus Christ for truth. I'm always led back uh, to here, this place. What if it's of Satan? I don't want to go to hell. I repent always. I do not feel the spirit. I went through the temple. It scared me. I was shocked. I left there in 1983. I didn't feel the spirit. It scared me to death. I'm still scared. I don't want to offend God. What, but what if it's all true? What if uh, all the points you made at Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon? It's made me question. My husband's mad at me and will not listen to anything that you have to say. He says, I am listening to a man, not to God. Why at age 50 and I'm not, am I now wondering about all of this? I believe in Jesus Christ. He's my Savior. I love him. I would like to meet you sincerely and confuse Sherry. I wrote back two words, call me, and I supplied her with my cell phone number. A little after midnight Sunday, I received this email in reply. Sean, wow, I have been through a test of faith and truth. I wrote you a couple days ago. I was a mess, but now I'm free. The sweet spirit of the Holy Ghost has shown me the truth, and I will never sway from it again. Sean, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true. These truths and... Uh, in all church, there is truth in all churches that believe in God and Jesus Christ. We have the fullness. Um, you are not telling the full truth about Joseph Smith. He was just a man like all prophets are men. He's not Jesus, so he can make mistakes. In the Bible, Jesus talks to us about being gods. I'm sure you know where that is. In the Old Testament, prophets had multiple wives. God allowed it, and he said it would drive them mad. The church has been under attack from the beginning. It has continued to grow forward. 
The Book of Mormon is the second testament of Christ. You're talking down to people is not like Christ. Now she turns it on me. Do you feel that Christ is happy when you say the things you do? You know we worship Christ. Bussar McConkie said you don't worship Christ. He's an apostle. He said it from the pulpit. We do not worship Christ. Bullet point in his talk. You're telling me he says he do? Every person that got up and testimony made testified of Christ. Well, there must, something may be going on maybe in the LDS church. If everybody is getting up and testifying of Christ, and if they are, then praise God. Maybe that is going to lead to something. You know, that's what some of this stuff does. They care so much about how they look. Maybe they're starting to do that so they can at least look Christian. Paul says, hey, that might work to the benefit, and maybe they'll become Christian. But I'm telling you, Mormonism is not Christian, Sherry. The church gives more hope than anything I've witnessed. I pray you will find your way back. You are a good person. And then she's back to that old thing. Pray for this woman. And it's not, this is just representative of what so many people, thousands, maybe millions go through, is that they know there's something wrong, there's something rotten in the kitchen, but I'm going to ignore that foul smell and I'm just going to keep spraying room deodorizers. And I'm just going to keep spraying this sweet stuff and just pretend like, okay, everything's okay, everything's okay. Forget that big fat dead rat sitting there in the corner like this. Pretend it's not there. Pretend polygamy's not there. Pretend all this stuff's not there. And just spray your perfume. And it's a shame because you will be held accountable for that. Because the Holy Spirit calls to all people. He is calling to you as you sit there and watch this show from wherever you are. And he's saying, do you care more? You remember when Jesus said, listen, he who loves father and mother, brother, sister more than me is not worthy of me. You know what he meant by that? Don't go and put something ahead of me. Make me your priority, your number one. He is preeminent, not just eminent, preeminent. He is number one. Is he in your life? Because if he's not, you're going to be held accountable to that. You will stand before God. And if you think, you say, well, I really serve my church well, he's going to say, big deal. He's going to say, did you know me? Do you know me? Do you know him? If you don't go to him tonight, say, I want to know who you are. Please, Lord, show me. Uh, Alex in North Carolina, LDS. Alex, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. Um, I am a 15-year-old, and I um, currently live in Apex, North Carolina, and my parents have separated from the church, both of them. Uh-huh. And... Um, I kind of go back every once in a while to go to the activities just because I have so many friends in the Mormon church. Yeah. And um, then I have this one who keeps inviting me back to seminary, and I have a couple that you know keep inviting me back to seminary, inviting me back to the activities. And I was wondering if you had any suggestions. Well, uh, what are your, let me ask you this first. What are your parents doing now that they have left uh, the church, Alex? Um, my parents? do a Bible study with other um, saved Christians, and they, my parents have both been saved. And Praise God. Bible study every Wednesday. Uh, Alex, um, yes. do, you, do you love and your mom and dad? Oh, yes. You respect them having left the church anyway? Yes. Uh, go to your mom and dad and ask them that question. Uh, there's different ways. In my family, my way was to let my daughters do whatever they wanted relative to the Mormon church, and I would support them. But uh, I was in a mixed marriage at that time. My wife was still LDS, and I was keeping the peace that way. Uh, you might say, hey, my friends are all there, and your parents might just say, that's okay, you go. And then you, they, you have that open part, and you can share with them what you're hearing, and they can clarify what you've heard and, and help you. But it's really, I think it's really important that you get their opinion about that and, and not from me. Because I, I don't know. 
And, uh, but you know what I do love is that uh, you're searching, you're watching our show, your parents have come out and they found the Lord, they're studying the Bible, and information can never, you don't have to be afraid ever of information. And if you're a seeker, don't be afraid of what people tell you. You can go explore and read and study, but you just keep your heart, not your heart, but your mind, your life open to God and say, Lord, you show me the truth. And you get in that Bible on your own. And then, but talk to your parents and see what they have to say. I'd love to hear what, what goes on with that. Will you email us? Uh, yeah, I will. I had another quick question. Yeah. I was wondering, like, because I do, you know, I go to another place now. You know, it's Christian. It's not warm at all. And I have these new friends and stuff and this new place I go. I was wondering, you know, because I'm trying, you know, I want to say no, but I don't like to be that, you know, that person that just says no. That's just the way I am. So I was wondering if you had anything, like, to say to them when they say, will you come to seminary? Um, well, I mean, I, I have, it take, you know, I know grown men, big, strong guys who can rip my head off with a pinky who are afraid to face up to their friends and peers and say, like, no, I'm not going to go to the bar with you or Jesus is my Lord. It takes some time. And so you're not supposed to, just because your parents have come to know the Lord, you're not going to be equipped to totally just become dogmatic and tell your friends no. So you got to be led by the Holy Spirit in conjunction with what you learn at your Christian Bible study, how your parents are leading you, and, and, and you, you teach truth in love. So if you believe you can go to that seminary without it affecting you and without them re-recruiting you, you can go, and then, or you might do a deal. Hey, I'll go to your seminary with you if you come to my Bible study. You know, maybe a quid pro quo exchange. And then maybe they'll come to the Bible study and hear the truth, and it'll open up their eyes and you'll bring some people to them. But it really is dependent upon how strong you are in the Lord, what your faith is, where you stand right now, and what your parents think. All right. All right, my friend. I'm sorry I can't be more direct and give you a definitive, this is what you should do, but... Honestly, it doesn't come to me to tell you what you should really do, except what I've, what I've said. Perfectly fine. Thank you. I love watching your show. I love the points you prove there. Thank, thanks, my friend. Maybe I'll be able to meet you when we come out to your area in the summer. That'd be awesome. I look forward to it. Take care. All right. Bye. See you later. Okay, bye. I'm sorry, uh, Sally in Taylorsville, the anonymous apostate from Kearns. You people who are waiting on the phone, we're out of time. We've got maybe 20 seconds left. Um, we're going to be touring the nation. Go to www.hotm.tv. You can find out the details about that. If you want to go to your church and say, hey, have this guy in and talk about the Mormon Christian debate and what's going on with it, we'd be more than happy to stop by, regardless of the group or whatever's going on. So we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.